Support for this podcast comes from the Phil Smith Center for Free Enterprise at the FAU College of Business. The Phil Smith Center for Free Enterprise supports the vision and strategic plan of the College of Business to advance thought leadership in business. The center supports chaired professorships and research, educational programs for faculty members and students, distinguished visiting faculty, along with a lecture series and other educational programs focused on the principles of free enterprise and how those principles affect growth and prosperity. Learn more at business.fau.edu forward slash Phil Smith. Hello, my name is Dan Gropper, and I have the honor of serving as the Dean of the College of Business here at Florida Atlantic University. And one of the great pleasures of being the Dean is to meet and get to hire some exceptional new faculty to come join us here at Florida Atlantic University. And one of our key departments, uh, key areas in a key industry for South Florida is hospitality and tourism. And we're delighted today to have a new assistant professor who's joined us from Penn State University, So Young Park. And uh, Dr. Park, it's great to welcome you to Florida Atlantic. Thank you, Dean Gropper. I'm excited to be here and to participate in this podcast. Great, great. So you've had some experience teaching previously, as well as conducting research, and we were most impressed that even as a doctoral student, you'd already published several papers on some very interesting topics. And so I wanted to talk to you a little bit about your research today, and then your teaching interests, and then a little bit about your overall background. So let's start with the research. It looks like you've done a number of things that, uh, as a parent who took their children to some of our national parks, I found incredibly interesting. So you did some actual research on the educational benefits of uh, families going to the United States National Park System. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. Can you tell us a little bit about that research and what you found? So that research was about examining the benefits of family trips on the academic achievement of children in the early childhood. And we looked at several uh, locations that uh, parents were taking the children, the national parks, of course, uh, cultural sites like museums, art, uh, art galleries, as well as sporting events uh, like football games. And we actually found out that taking your children to cultural events like uh, museums, uh, art galleries, and historical sites had a positive impact on their reading skills. On the other hand, the sporting events actually had a positive impact on children's math skills. When you think about it, you know, when you go to a football game, you talk about, oh, that was two points. Um, there was like four points, that's few yards, they moved uh, for a few seconds. You, know, you talk about the numbers. So it was... Um, it was interesting to see that that was uh, applied to the actual um, score that the children were getting. So that was uh, the benefits of the family trips that we looked at. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. And I imagine some factors are kind of all mixed together there where uh, you might have parents who come from relatively well-educated, high-income uh, backgrounds are more likely to take their children on trips like that. And did you control for that statistically? 
Yes. So we looked at the socioeconomic status of the parents uh, as well, uh, such as uh, their household income, their education level, as well as if the household was an English-speaking environment, because that can influence your uh, reading skills. We looked at uh, how many time, uh, how much time the parents were spending with the children doing other activities like building blocks, uh, playing outside, or reading books. So we looked at a lot of control variables um, in the regression. But even after controlling all those, family trips had impact um, on the academic achievement. Well, that's that's great. As, as uh, someone who's whose children are now grown and and uh, either in graduate school or are raising their own children. Uh, now, it's nice to know that going to the Grand Canyon and going to some of those museums and those things may have uh, helped contribute to a, a healthy upbringing uh, for those kids. Uh, you have also done some work on forecasting demand for campgrounds and parks and recreation spending and so on. So, Tell us a little bit about that. So that was collaboration with one of the colleagues at Penn State. And my role uh, mainly was the data analytics part. So one aspect of my research is that I utilize a lot of advanced data analytics using um, large data sets and unconventional data sets like social media data. And a lot of, for the National Parks Project, we use reservation data that was daily. So it was from, it was almost a decade data that was daily po data points. So you can imagine how much data set that is, uh, the size is. So I had to, you know, clean the data set. We had a lot of um, issues with the data that the start date of the campsite was later than the, than the end date and people were staying a year, which is impossible. And right. the, <laughs> so um, that was my part that we tried to forecast um, the correct demand for each campground. And right now we're also looking at if um, having like electricity or having a lake by the campsite would have uh, impact on the demand uh, scale as well. Yeah, the amenities in the campgrounds, I think, are particularly important from, uh, and, and I, I have a personal, well, I guess it's not really a research interest. It's more of a personal uh, interest. I've been camping around the Northeast and the West and tent camping and then camping in camper vans and that sort of thing. Uh, although, Quite honestly, I haven't done that in a few years. So uh, it's it's interesting. I think there's been a, a huge increase in the demand for recreational vehicles this year, in particular, yes. as one of the sort of side effects of the coronavirus pandemic. People are much more interested in renting a camper and going and staying sort of self-contained and still being able to travel, much more reluctant uh, or concerned to hop on an airplane or hop on a train, uh, that sort of thing. So that's that's you know, really interesting. One of the things I always love is our faculty members are doing research on very different things. And so you're doing some applied research on sort of the benefits and, and the demand for uh, various types of hospitality and recreational activities. And uh, so that's very applicable. Your students can be taught the tools 
that you're learning and then figure out their own research projects as well as learn from you and what you've learned in that in those research projects. Uh, so let me turn a little bit. You had some professional work experience. I think uh, it was working with one of the big tourism uh, agencies. Is that correct? Yes. Um, I worked uh, in UNWTO, United Nations World Tour, Tourism Organization in Madrid. For about six months, it wasn't. It wasn't very long. That was during actually my undergraduate years. Uh, I interned at the Department of Asia and the Pacific, and that's when I actually learned the power of tourism. You know, in transforming the individuals and the communities, and how I set the my career path for the tourism industry. Yeah, I completely agree. And uh, one of the things that I had done in an earlier part of my career before I became a dean down here at Florida Atlantic, uh, I was a program director at another university and we pushed through a tuition hike, but with it, a required international trip so that that tuition and fee hike paid for the international trip. And so we tell all the students, first thing you got to do is get a passport if you don't already have one. (laughs) Because next year, we're all going to take at least a week to 10 days and travel somewhere that most of you haven't been. And I personally learned a lot from that experience, but I can tell you that our students, it totally made a difference. And, and we went to your home country. We went to South Korea on a couple <laughs> of occasions, uh, visited the Hyundai plant, uh, I think some others, Samsung and, and some different places. I do remember the Hyundai shipbuilding yard was phenomenal. Yes. I had no idea how they would build these giant ships. The, the cargo ships and tankers and things, and it's just phenomenal to see that sort of scale. But contrasting uh, South Korea and then China on the second half of that trip was really, really enlightening. A vibrant, very pro-free market uh, economy, and then moving into China, which was years behind and with a, a much more repressive uh, socialist slash communist regime kind of but opening up to some elements of of capitalism and to see the transformation and see the contrast uh, between those two countries was was really quite quite interesting and I'll just say the Korean people were very very friendly and uh, very open and, and shared a lot with us so our students uh, <laughs> learned a lot and and uh, and I certainly did as well. Let me then turn uh, a little bit. Uh, One of your other experiences, you worked for what looks like a consulting firm, Black Peak Limited, and it said you were an external consultant for due diligence. What what does that mean, actually? What do you do as a consultant for due diligence? Uh, Can you describe that for us a little bit? Yes. To put it simply, it's like a private investigation, actually. I had to find red flags for individuals or the companies when uh, our clients were trying to purchase the company. So if any of the CEOs did a, a bad, bad thing or they were accused of something or if they were charged with any crimes um, or were there any rumors about the, the companies, I had to find out. And if, <laughs> yes, uh, it was, it was really interesting. It was a, it was almost a private investigation into the company and the person. I, I became a Google expert after I worked there. <laughs> I would call up my lawyer friends um, to ask about how can I access these files? Um, and so it was, it was really interesting, but actually through that, I found the joy of research 
because you have to be very uh, dedicated and very detail oriented when you have a big client that relies on you when they're spending millions and billions of dollars. <laughs> yeah, I remember looking at some things and and having some of our students go and work for some some financial companies. And they said, oh, I'm a due diligence consultant. And so, okay, what does that mean? And say, well, at the starting level, quite often this means that when the financial reports say, uh, for instance, that sales were at a certain amount at this shopping center and somebody was going to go try to buy this piece of commercial property. So, we actually go out to that shopping center and see, are there cars in the parking lot? And are there customers walking around the stores? And does it does it at least look like uh, that, that the activity we can observe periodically matches up or at least supports the financial statements. In other words, you don't want to have some place reporting, you know, millions and millions of dollars of sales and then you go there and the parking lot is empty. Uh, unless, of course, they're presenting this as it's online shopping. But this goes back a few years. So, at any rate, that's, uh, that, that's great. And I always think that kind of real-world professional experience uh, is very helpful for a professor uh, not only informing their research, but also informing uh, what they do in the classroom and their teaching. So let me ask you then, turning to teaching, you've had a chance to teach at Penn State a little bit, both your own classes and then being a teaching assistant for other professors. Can you tell us a little bit about what your favorite areas are to teach and what you what you enjoy the most? Um, at Penn State, my favorite class was a actually a research methods class. So in that class, students come up with their own research topic, they build research questions, they do literature review, they make the survey or they interview questions, they actually do the survey, conduct interviews, analyze those data, and write up the report and make a poster in one semester. <laughs> so it's a, it's a lot of work, but a lot of my students actually could use that to for their portfolio when they're going out for a job hunt and they were able to understand why it is important to ask the right question. So yeah, that was my favorite. <laughs> that's great. Well, of course, data analytics and, and big data are, are a couple of the hottest areas in business at the moment. And uh, it's, a, it's one of my favorite areas because I did a lot of work um, in that sort of area myself, but in an earlier period where most of my data came in rows and columns, <laughs> and it was from the federal government or private banks, and we would look at uh, those kind of issues about bank regulation and productivity and, and those kind of things. It was not scraping websites and looking at Yelp reviews and some of the <laughs> things that some, uh, some folks uh, are doing now. So, in addition to the data analytics, what other kinds of things uh, have uh, you or are you likely planning to teach here at Florida Atlantic? Um, I'll be teaching two classes this uh, this coming fall. I'll be teaching uh, HFD four two four zero, the excellence in guest service uh, management, and HFD one thousand, which is introduction to tourism and hospitality industry. Both are very practical, I would say. So I'm trying to incorporate a lot of current events. Um, you know, you need to stay very current and understand the trends to be successful in the hospitality and tourism industry. 
I have incorporated lots of news media articles. Um, I share the webinars that I attend to so that students can be exposed to the actual industry uh, voices. And I invited a lot of industry professionals. Actually, even uh, I have one from UNWTO, actually. Uh, the director for the Asia and the Pacific will be coming for my guest lecture uh, at HFD 1000. We have an AI specialist from Hotel Network, uh, Hotels Network, who's going to come talk to the classroom to explain that, you know, even though hospitality and tourism, it looks like just service, but there is a lot of technology that's involved and a lot of jobs involved with the technology. And a person from the Metropolitan Museum is going to come talk about the current trends. So, yeah, I'm very excited about these two classes and I hope that it will be a good combination of strong fundamentals and the real life practice. Well, that sounds great. I love the fact that you're bringing in these industry professionals into your class. And that's one of the things we sort of pride ourselves here at Florida Atlantic University is we have strong ties with the local community. I know that's particularly true in the hospitality and tourism area, but it sounds like you've brought in some people that you know that that are going to be great additions to your classroom. And I'm sure it'll be a great experience for your students. Now, tell us a little bit. I know you're, you finished your PhD at Penn State. And uh, and you got your master's degree in what? Uh, I got my master's degree in econ from Korea University in Seoul, Korea. Okay. So you have a master's degree in economics. That's always good sound preparation for <laughs> further graduate school, right? Yeah. And your bachelor's degree is also in economics, but where was that from? Uh, that was also from Korea, the same university. Okay, very good. Very good. Oh, and I see you were an exchange student at Université François Rabelais in Spain. Yeah. <laughs> Is that right? Uh, it was, it was uh, in, in France. I was there for six months. Um, okay. I, I went to this international high, uh, language high school, um, so French was my language. It was really interesting to spend some time in France. Okay, so what's the, what's the actual then appropriately pronounced name of the university that I just butchered? <laughs> where you were an exchange student. Uh, so it's François Habillé. <laughs> okay, very good, very good. So just out of curiosity, how many languages do you now speak? I speak three languages. I can say that I can speak three languages. I'm, I'm, I'm native in Korean. I speak English. Um, I speak French. I can communicate. Uh, I can understand Japanese. I can read, but I cannot speak them. I don't know why. <laughs> Well, that's great. Well, listen, uh, so Young, welcome to Florida Atlantic University. Welcome to South Florida. Uh, we think you'll be a great addition to our faculty, and we're really pleased to have you join us here uh, in the College of Business. So welcome. Thank you very much. To learn more about the FAU College of Business, please visit business.fau.edu. Dean Gropper Presents is part of the FAU College of Business Podcast Network. To learn more, visit us at business.fau.edu forward slash podcasts and follow Dean Gropper on Twitter at FAU Business Dean.